Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. We're talking business now with Ray Zinn. He's the longest-serving CEO of a publicly traded company in Silicon Valley. Here's Ray's take on why companies fail. And these are startups that are, we know from, from statistics that, that 9 out of 10 companies fail after three years because they don't live within their budget. And, and so um, it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. Ray's philosophy on decision-making. Being indecisive is being lazy. And how to deal with mistakes. Have no regrets. Have, have nothing in your life that you regret. Okay? Don't regret yes. anything. We all make mistakes. Every one of us makes mistakes. And so it's not the mistake that hurts. It's not correcting it that hurts. We'll hear more from Ray right after this message from our sponsor. Would you like to... Position your company as an industry thought leader? Increase engagement and build credibility with prospects and clients? Establish your influence as a trusted resource? Interobang Solutions offers full-service writing and publishing solutions that deliver your company's messages with a bang. You can count on us to provide turnkey solutions that support your existing marketing and communication staff or act as your full-service outsourced partner. Interobang Solutions providing custom writing, editing, and publishing solutions. Call 913-676-7272 or visit www.interobanksolutions.com. That's 913-676-7272 or www.interobanksolutions.com. Welcome back. We're talking business now with Ray Zen. Ray is an inventor, entrepreneur, and the longest-serving CEO of a publicly traded company in Silicon Valley. He's best known for co-founding the semiconductor company Micrel, which was acquired by Microchip in 2015. The company it provides essential components for smartphones, consumer electronics, and enterprise networks. And since it launched... In 1978, Ray has served as chief executive officer, as chairman of its board of directors, and president. We're going to talk to him today about several of the different things that he has learned about business during that time. Welcome to the show today, Ray. Well, thank you, Kelly. It's a delight to be here. Ray, you have such an interesting story, and it goes way back, 1978. So we're talking about really the wild, wild west days of Silicon Valley. Tell us about the launch of Micrell and what the environment was there in Silicon Valley at the time. Well, uh, Silicon Valley really got its name uh, in, I think, about 1967 when uh, Bob Noyce and company moved from Fairchild and formed a company called Intel in uh, Santa Clara, California. Uh, and it then acquired the name of Silicon Valley. Used to, they used to all gather together in a thing called the Wagon Wheel in Mountain View and sit around and talk about starting a company and, and uh, you know, doing their business plans on the back of a napkin and, and that sort of thing. And it was just it was an interesting time. You know, the industry 
really got going in, in about 1957, uh, and I joined it in '63. Uh, so it was only six years old when I uh, when I joined the industry, uh, and it was really a very interesting time because all these different guys wanted to start companies, and and uh, they went through the process of venture capital funding. Um, uh, Intel was started by a venture fund called um, Arthur Rock uh, a Venture Fund, and uh, so almost everybody was was uh, the venture capitalists wanted to join and jump in and, and and become part of that new new industry. So it was a pretty interesting time, and I started my crowd just uh, oh gosh, no, it was about nine years later. Uh, I started the uh, Micro Semiconductor. So, you know, the industry had, had kind of evolved more by then when I, when I started it, but it was still a very interesting time. One of the things that I found fascinating about your story, Ray, is that you didn't take venture capital. And you just mentioned earlier in the interview that other companies were doing that. And, and really, it seemed to be the mindset at that time that you needed venture capital to even get started. But you not only didn't take it, you led Microel profitably through many major downturns. You were profitable from day one. In fact, I think you led them through eight downturns in the global chips market while remaining profitable. Uh, a lot of your com uh, competitors and others in the industry didn't even make it through one downturn. So one, why did you decide to make a go of it without venture capital? And two, how did you manage to lead Microl through all those downturns, all the while being profitable? That's a, that's a very good question, Kelly. Uh, so uh, as I looked around at the various venture opportunities, uh, it was clear they wanted to own at least 50% of the company. Uh, that would leave me at best and my partner at best with 50%. And I knew that over time, we would get diluted because you'd raise round one, round two, round three, round four. Well, who knows how many rounds you'd have to have. So uh, I just decided, almost like you would say, you know, sleeping, you know, waking up in the middle of the night. And, and I said, you know, I'm going to try to get my bank financing. And so I went to the bank, and, of course, they just laughed. They, they, they thought, oh, this is the funniest, most hysterical request we've ever had. Uh, and uh, so they, we don't we don't uh, uh, loan to startups, and so that began a conversation as to why. And you know, to make a long story short, they finally agreed to loan me the money, but it had to be on a, on a very strict and onerous basis, meaning that I had to, to be profitable from day one. Now that was an interesting shock for me because how do I start a company and, and this? kind of industry uh, with uh, uh, being profitable from day one. So that I had to redo my business plan, you know, which is not untypical. You know, you, you know, start out one way, you end up going another way. So uh, I had to promise the bank that I'd be profitable on an annual basis uh, and I could lose money one quarter. In other words, I could have one quarter out of four where I lost money. And, uh, and so that changed the mindset and the way that I had to run the company. I had to run it profitably. Mm -hmm. But I thought, well, that's okay. You know, I mean, why not? Real <laughs> companies make money. 
And, and so I redid the business plan and, and ran the company profitably as opposed just to running it just to get, you know, go public and, 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 uh, and, and, and go from there. So, uh, it, it, so that, that established a culture of, of making money. So that's how I made it through all these different downturns is I just ran the company profitably every single year so that I could, you know, make my bank covenants and uh, they wouldn't call my loan and I could just continue operating uh, on an ongoing basis. So most companies in my industry at the time uh, went, didn't, didn't really get profitable for, you know, five to ten years. And then they went public. Uh, companies like yeah. Maxim and Linear Technology, who are uh, competitors of mine, raised about $20, $20 million each. Uh, and uh, then they went public, oh, gosh, about nine, uh, about 10 years later. Uh, so uh, I raised uh, uh, $300,000, which is you know, a fraction of what those guys raised. Yeah. But it took, but it took me 16 years so uh, to go public. So it took me almost double the time to go public, but I wasn't interested necessarily just going public. I was trying to build a company, not just build a, have a company that, that, that satisfied the, the investors because I was the major investor at the time. And uh, so that, that allowed, so, so you can see how that built the culture of the company to be a profitable operation because that's what I had to do in order to get, get bank funding. So, and if your listeners out there who want to do it that way, you gotta you gotta set your plan up so that you're profitable every single uh, quarter. You make that sound so easy. The bank says I have to be profitable from the first year, so I'll rewrite my business plan, and the company will be profitable. You know that was really a tall order that the bank gave you that you had to be profitable for three out of every four quarters, and I'm sure you had to make some tough decisions in order to accomplish that. You got a book out, in fact, called Tough Things First. So what were some of the things that you had to do to live up to that covenant with your bank and pretty much be profitable from day one? Okay, so uh, we had to have uh, enough working capital to last us through one quarter in just three months. So that meant that you know, I had to be careful about how I expanded and spent the, you know, the, the money because the bank monitored every quarter and to make sure that we were running the company in accordance with the plan that we had set up. So, um, you know, you, you, have, you have a family, you, you, you and your, your significant other, uh, you have a, a, you know, a, a budget you live on. And, and if you spend more than, than your income is, uh, you're going to run out of money. So definitely you know, we, we all do that. Every, every family, has that responsibility of making sure that their income is greater than their outflow. Uh, and, and so I just did that. I just ran the company in, in a way in which we do like run your own household. You would just make sure that you had more money coming in than you had, than you had going out. So that, it's not magic. All of us know how to do it. All of us do it. We know, we know what our costs are. We know what our income is. And we just live within our budget. And the reason companies go out of business and these are startups that are we know from, from statistics that, that nine out of ten companies fail after three years because they don't live within their budget. And and so um, it's it's not it's not rocket science, Kelly. It's it's really 
just running your company like you'd run your home. You mentioned corporate culture just a little while ago. In fact, you've written quite a bit on corporate culture, too. But when I think about Silicon Valley and some of the news that's been coming out more recently about some of the CEOs and their corporate cultures, a lot of that's been really negative. So how, how did you manage to avoid that with Microl? How is Microl's culture different? Okay, so that's, that's important, Kelly, and, and as your listeners are going to understand, uh, the culture of your company or of your family um, is what keeps it together. And so um, just like I do in my family, I, it, uh, I consider my company just an extension of my family. We had the, uh, the four cultures. One, the first culture is honesty. The second is integrity. Integrity is doing what's right when no one's watching. The third is dignity of all individuals. You know, respect for them. No, use no condescending or foul language. Just like at home, you, you know, you, you want to make sure you don't use wrong kind of language in your in your house. And then the third is doing whatever it takes, no excuses. The tough things first story as you would. Uh, so those are the four, four cultures, honesty, integrity, dignity, and respect for every individual, irrespective of who they are. And then the fourth is doing whatever it takes, no excuses. Culture from, we had that culture from day one. I am best in people. It's not a, all about me. It's, it's about people. That's the way we view things, even in my home. You know, it's not about me. It's about my wife and my children and my grandchildren. And, and so if, if you focus on, on others and yourself, you will succeed. The dignity pillar that you just mentioned, that, that's clearly important to you. And how did that change the operations with Microl? Because uh, they looked up to me. They, I, I, I didn't uh, force them to respect me. I earned their respect. Uh, I wanted them to follow me as a leader, and, and so I, 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 I wanted to make sure that my example that I set was one that I was proud of, that I, that I would proudly let them see anything that I did. There was nothing that I, that I did within the company or within my home that I was not proud of. Uh, you know, I, I, I honored my marriage. I honored the, the, the values that, that I have. And I did that at work, too. I projected those, those values. <clears throat> I remember um, a fellow came in. Uh, this has been a few years ago. But a fellow came in and, and asked the receptionist if he could, if he could see me. And, uh, and, and so the receptionist called my secretary and, and said, this individual wants to, 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 to speak to Mr. Zinn. And uh, my secretary said, well, who is he? And she says, I don't know. He just, he just says he wants to speak to him. So uh, I said, well, Leah, go down and, and find out who he is. And, and uh, so she went down. She talked to him, interviewed him a little bit. And, and then she came up. She said, I think, I think it's okay. So I said, okay, bring him up. So he came up to my office. And he said, he walked in and said, he shook my hand and said, you know, he said, I've been selling to your company. I'm a rep. I mean, I, I, I'm a vendor. And I've been selling your company for 20 years. And, and I want you to know there's just something special. When I walk into your, your buildings to, 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 your, to work with your people, we had over 1,000 people, he said, uh, it's different. 
I, I have a different, there's a different feeling here. And, and I feel at home. I feel that there's trust. And, and uh, every person I've worked with within your company has always been honorable. And I just want you to know that, that, that you have a special company here. And then he left. So this is a vendor telling you this. And so I right. can only imagine. I can only imagine what your employees felt like. You had. I'm assuming you had very low employee turnover too. Then. Oh yeah, we're our lowest in the industry. We had half the turnover that the industry had. Let's shift to uh, something that maybe people aren't quite as familiar with, and that is your history as an inventor. Uh, you have uh, what twenty some patents, and you're also well-known for uh, one in particular. And so tell us about your history with uh, the wafer stepper and with some of your other inventions. Okay, so uh, an invention is, is really nothing more than, than a, a creativeness. So if you look at what an entrepreneur is, at first you uh, innovate, and then you create, and then you uh, um, uh Grow it. In other words, you you uh, so a, you know, forgot the term I use now. But you, so um, if you want to advance yourself and advance your your business, you have to innovate. And then after you, you come up with that innovation, then you do create. Then you create the idea, and then you then you then you uh, uh, make it happen. Uh, and and so um, negotiate. That's the term. So then you negotiate. And uh, and so developing patents is is really just getting those creative juices flowing, and and uh, uh, so my goal was to out create everybody in the company. So so I, I we we set up a goal as a company about how many patents we were going to create in a year, and that would su- suggest how many that I had to create to, to be the the most creative, the most innovative of of, of my employees. And so that made me sit down and think about ideas. Even though I was a CEO running the company, I took time to come up with ideas and, and, and creativeness to set the example. And that's why I did so many of them, because my, my employees were very, very innovative. We, we had more patents for our size than any company in the industry. Yeah, um, so that became... The- you, that became part of your culture, too. There was a challenge, kind of a competition among all of you to, to out-innovate each other almost. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Kelly. You nailed it. Yeah. You have a program now called Zen Starter. Tell us about that. Okay, so um, I teach at several universities, and, and I was at one university, Virginia Tech, which is in Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, and uh, they had a great entrepreneurial program, and the kids were, the students were um, uh, having the seminar with me where they were asking me questions, much like you're doing now, Kelly. And they were so enthusiastic and so energetic that I said, well, I wonder what I can do to help them uh, create products while they're still in school, because it's expensive to, to, to create products. So I came up with the idea that I would fund, at least on a trial basis, I would fund uh, a certain amount of money uh, that they they could use to to build their products or build or start their company. 
as long as they were still within the school year. In other words, they had to be still, you know, full-time students at the university, uh, and uh, they they were working on a on, on a business plan. And so ZenStarter is a, a, a fund that six universities have, or is it five or six, uh, where they offer or they will, they will help students uh, build build their, their companies or, or develop their products. Um, and I just got a note from one of the students that this year their product created um, three, 200 and something thousand in winnings when they went on a national competition wow. uh, and where they presented their product. So they had, they had literally generated $200,000 off the money that I gave them. Uh, and that's how you start a company, by the way, is you give them a small amount of money and then they grow that. So they took right. that small amount of money. I think it was like less than $1,000. And they, and they created a little company that, that generated $200,000 in, uh, in earn, and winnings. Not not earnings, mm-hmm. but winnings, you know, from winning, their competition. Yeah. So, so that's what ZenStarter is. It's, just, it's like Kickstarter in a way, but it's just for mm-hmm. students. It's a, it's a learning process. You know, they have to have mentors to help them develop their products. And so each school, if they don't have a mentorship program, then they don't get the funding. You have to have mentorship, uh, and then you have to have a board of directors that, that looks at all these different ideas, and then they award the money based on who they think is most creative and, and has the best opportunity to succeed. Yeah, and you can find more information about that program out on your website at toughthingsfirst.com, right? Correct. Yeah, so toughthingsfirst.com, if you're interested in learning more about it, uh, go on out there, and, and there's a menu item you can learn more about it. Uh, Ray, you know, as we close here, what's your one piece of advice from your book, Tough Things First, that you'd share with our listeners? In fact, I was just having that discussion with my grandson yesterday. You know, being indecisive is being lazy. And so if you can't, you know, how people say, oh, I just can't decide, you know. Well, all they're telling you is, is they can't, you know, they either want you to make the decision for them or they want, you know, they want some help, okay. They, 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 they're too lazy to put forth the work and the effort to, to decide. Tom Peters in his book, in pursuit of excellence says ready fire aim and i never yes. knew what that meant until a friend of mine who who knew about the second world war and how they they didn't have all those special weapons that uh, you know these intelligent weapons so they would shoot and then they would crack in other words they would they would uh, fire for effect so that's what ready fire and then aim aim meaning that that say you know modify your plan you don't shoot high you're a little high a little low you know and so forth and so that's that's called you know firing for effect or ready aim ready fire aim because a lot of business people go ready aim 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 and never fire okay they can't make up their minds so yeah. you you have to you have to be decisive and in running a company being decisive is is very very important uh, and and that means that you have to have a, you know the confidence, you know the the, the uh, uh, passion to to move forward. Begin. The rest is easy, is what I say. Uh, and yeah. a lot of people just don't begin. They just sit around and talk and talk, 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 talk. They they, yeah. they never they never move forward. And uh, and until you, as as, as uh, Emerson said, 
that which you persist in doing becomes easier. Not that the nature of the test is easier, but your ability to perform it becomes easier. And, and so, you know, just do it, you know. You, you learn by practicing, whether it be the piano, whether it be singing, whether it be running a company, you know, you, you, know, you have to learn. They call it, you know, medicine, they call it practicing medicine, right? right. Because those guys right. are always learning. You're always learning. Now, that's great advice, and uh, of course, corrections along the way, but you just got to begin somewhere. You've also written a book called The Zen of Zen, and uh, it's a fascinating little book with lots of, of very helpful snippets. Tell us about that book quickly and how we can get a copy of it. Okay, so uh, what, I, what I did is I actually uh, you know, post twice a day on, on my, uh, my blog as well as on, on LinkedIn and Facebook, and I had a person come to me and said, you know how to make a book of that. You have just take and consolidate those by subject matter in, into a book. And I did that. And uh, so they're little, they're motivational uh, little snippets, uh, little musings, as I refer to them in the book. Uh, that uh, really, it's, it's a book's about 200 pages, uh, and it has like 500 of these uh, little uh, snippets in them on all these different subjects. And it's something that's really easy to read. It takes. You know, if you did two a day just to read them, it would keep you going. It kind of keeps you, your juices flowing. And you can get the book. Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's called Zen of Zen, Z-I-N. No, Z-E-N, sorry. Z-E-N of Z-I-N, which is my name. You know, kind of Zen being the Zen Buddhist. Zen, Zen of Zen. Zen. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and, and they'll, I think they will really, really enjoy it. Uh, yeah. It's just a fun book to read. It's, it's not hard to follow. It's all subject driven, and uh, I'd be interested to have them, you know, tell me how they how they like it. Get, get okay. Comments on on on, on, on 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 Amazon. Sure. So all you listeners out there, uh, go out to Amazon, Zen of Zen. Look up, look it up, and then you can post your comments and your feedback on Amazon, and and Ray will take a look at that, and uh, I'm sure he would appreciate it. Thanks, thanks a lot for for letting us know about that, Ray. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Ray. You can find out more about Ray, about his books, at his website, toughthingsfirst.com. Well, we truly appreciate you for joining us on Talking Business Now. Thank you so much. We also appreciate the support of our sponsor, Intero Bang Solutions, which provides writing, editing, and publishing services. Give them a call at 913-676-7272 or visit interobangsolutions.com. And thank you for tuning in today. Please be sure to join us for the next episode of Talking Business Now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.